Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. The Bible tells us that each of us has differing gifts according to the grace given to us by God. On today's program, we'll see how we can identify our gifts and use them for the glory of God. part two of Cheryl's message titled, Seize the Day. Then another servant comes forward and he says, here's your little mina back. And the nobleman says, what happened? Well, I know that you're an austere man and you, you reap where you have not sown. And I was afraid of you. So I wrapped it in this handkerchief and I buried it so that I could give it back to you intact when you came again. The nobleman is angry with his servant for not investing the mina. His excuse is really no excuse at all because if the servant was really afraid of the master and knew that he was austere, the very least he would have done is to have invested it in the bank. He wouldn't have hoarded it and buried it. He should have done something, anything with it. Then this servant is condemned. He's even called wicked for hiding and hoarding that which was entrusted to him. He is judged by his own mouth and his mina is taken away from him and given to the one who earned 10. Those watching this protest, wait, why are you giving that mina to the one who already has 10? And the nobleman answers, for I say to you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. After dealing with his own servants, the nobleman then deals with those who did not want him as king. Now, the apostle Peter talks about judgment beginning at the house of the Lord before it goes to the world. First Peter 4, 17. When Jesus returns, he will ask us what we did with what he has entrusted to us. You see, now is the time to invest what he has entrusted to us. We have an obligation to recognize the gifts that he has entrusted to us and to use them for his kingdom and glory. What are your gifts? Your gifts are your entrustments, are his word. He's giving you the word. Are you? Are you putting it in your heart? Are you investing it in your heart? Are you investing it in your children? My Aunt E.C., on every letter she ever sent me in college, and she sent me quite a few, one a week, it would say, 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There was not a letter she sent me that didn't contain that scripture. She implanted that word into my life. I have a woman in my life that uses um, phone texts. I still can't make it a verb, okay? Because it's it, when I grew up, it was just a noun. So I can't say texting because I wasn't in my Webster's Dictionary. But she sends me these texts with scriptures. And I thought, what an ingenious way to use a cell phone. Yes, cell phones can be used for the glory of God. Not Brian's, because it's used to ignore me. (laughs) But think about the things at our disposal that God has entrusted us with. His word, prayer, friends, money. Well, some of us, some of us not. House, energy, personality, whatever your personality is. Some of you have been entrusted with a quiet, peaceful personality. Thank you. Thank God for you. That's an entrustment. Just your personality's entrustment. That's a gift from God. Children. Children are an entrustment. Talents, whatever that is. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's cleaning. I had a friend past tense because she doesn't live close, but she had the gift of cleaning. She would show up at my house to show up. I go, I'm here because God put it on my heart to clean your house. And I'd be like, come in, take over, do all that God has placed on your heart. I remember one time she came over and she said, I'm here to clean your house. I said, oh, I'm going out with my parents. She goes, go. I came back. My floor has never sparkled like it did when she came over. One of my favorite people to invite into my house. But that was her gift. She would use it. She'd just show up at different people's houses and say, I want to clean your house. Some people would say, that's weird. Go away. And they didn't end up with a wondrously clean house. But that was a gift I never refused. And it was beautiful. But Romans 12, 6, the Apostle Paul says, We have differing gifts according to the grace given to us by God. Let us use our gifts. Tomorrow may not allow you to use your gift. You might not. I I used to have the gift of singing. Now I have the gift of croaking. It's kind of a use it or lose it. In fact, seriously, I'll go to hit notes or do a harmony that I used to. They'll be like, and I'm like, oh, that was not pleasant. Or is it pleasant to me? And obviously the people around me are kind of going, oh, poor Cheryl. (laughs) Don't hide it. Don't hoard it. But use what God has given you. And you'll find out when you step out in whatever gifts God has given you, he will add to it. Start with something small and watch God multiply it. Now, in Luke 19, 28 through 34, we see the opportunity to give to Jesus. I can't begin to enumerate to you how many times this little donkey has spoken to me, that this has been the word of the Lord to me. So here we are. Jesus is on the other side of the Mount of Olives. He's near a village, and he sends his disciples into that village and tells them exactly what they will find. You'll find a colt tethered to its mother. Lose the colt, 
You'll be asked, why are you doing this? Why are you loosing him? And this is what you're to answer. The Lord has need of it. The disciples go into the village and Luke tells us they find it exactly as Jesus said. As they obey these specific instructions, they find everything happens just as Jesus said. They find the colt. They start loosing it. They're asked, why are you loosing the colt? They answer, the Lord has need of it. And those who own the colt, let it go. Now, in our life, there will be loosings. Either you will be the one loosed. You might be loosed from a job, loosed from your security. As this cult was loosed from his security, his home, his people, his town, his mother, there might be loosings in your life because the Lord has need of you. We call them firings, removals. If you were in England, you would call it being made redundant. That doesn't mean you're going to just repeat yourself for the rest of your life. In England, that means you're fired. And we tend to look at them at the, as the end, as rejection, as I'm no good, not realizing the Lord has need of you. Now, or something being taken away from you. You might be the one who's loosing the cult. You might be the one saying, you know, I need help in this ministry. You might be the one saying, I have to let you go. You're fired. You might be the one giving the mission call or the the pastor. You might be the one being blamed for the loosing, but you're doing it because the Lord has need of it. Maybe you as a parent have had to loose your child. Maybe you've had to loose a prodigal that they might come to the end of, of their way. It might be glutted with the world that they might awake and come to their senses to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're the one who's had to do the loosing and let it go because the Lord has need of him. I've had to do the loose scenes with my children. I'm telling you, I would love a compound where I could visit my grandchildren any time I wanted to instead of having to FaceTime them where their attention span is like three minutes and then you hear one of them go, do we have to keep looking at grandma? B? <laughs> no, go. I'm loosing you. Have a wonderful life. But there's this loosing. God is using... My son, so incredibly up in Santa Rosa, whenever I go up there, I cry because I raised him and I know what God had to work with and how majestic God's work is. And to see the miracle of my son, and I lose him because the Lord has need of him. My daughter, my oldest daughter, serves with her husband in New York, and God is using them. He has need of them. Maybe you're the one who has to do the untethering and the loosing and you're untethering it yourself. Or maybe you're the one who has to let go of the cult. You're the one that the cult is being taken care of, and you have to let it go because the Lord has need of it. God has greater purposes, and his purposes require a loosing from our present situation. There is an untethering of those things that hold us to the post, that hold us to what was our security and our past, We must be loosed from those things and taken to Jesus. 
We like the tethers. We would rather stay bound. We know these surroundings. We'd rather stay tethered to the things, family, friends, house, car. We get so tethered to our physical circumstances and surroundings. But the loosing is for the greater purpose of the Lord because he wants to use us. And he wants to use that which we have tethered for his glory as part of the process to show the world that he is king and savior. Again, what we call removal, firing, rejection it is what God calls loosing. Moving on, opportunity to proclaim and praise. Luke 19 through 35 through 40. We don't always have the opportunity for praise. I never appreciated worship so much until after my fourth child was old enough to go to the nursery. I remember coming into church and sitting down and going, so this is what the body of Christ sounds like. Why, this is beautiful, and I can add my voice to it. And it was so wonderful. But we had this little system where if your child was in distress, a number would pop up. And I'm looking at those numbers going, those parents really need to get their children only to realize my number was up. And I had to go get Braden. But you know, we sometimes really don't appreciate the opportunity to sing and to praise the Lord. When I was on the mission field, I began to appreciate Bible studies and fellowship because I always had Sunday school or nursery duty. And we only had one service, not two services. And I remember the the opportunities I had to actually sit in the sanctuary and hear the word. Or somebody would send me a cassette tape and I would be able to listen to another woman speak into my life. And it was such a blessing. Somebody had the audacity to send me all my mom's cassette tapes. I love that person. I mean, most people just think that, you know, Cheryl Smith gets to hear Kay Smith all the time. But when I was in England, I didn't. And somebody sent me the the women's Bible studies. And I remember just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But you see, sometimes we think that we're always going to have the opportunity to gather with other believers. And we can take church and fellowship for granted, and we neglect it. And we don't know when sickness will rob us or when an obligation will come into our life that will actually take this opportunity away. And if we don't seize the day and really appreciate that opportunity to praise the Lord. On what we call Palm Sunday, the disciples brought the colt to Jesus. They put their garments on the colt. Jesus sat on this little donkey. Now, donkeys were ridden by kings in those days when they wanted to communicate that they were coming in peace. Now, we know, according to Revelation 19, 11 through 16, the next time Israel sees their king, he will be riding on a white horse with righteousness and truth and justice. Horses were reserved in those days to show aggression or absolute authority when a king had come to take possession of what was his by rights. But Jesus is coming on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal, to show that he is coming in peace, that Coming to him and receiving his kingdom is voluntary at this moment. 
He begins to ride down the Mount of Olives toward the east gate, and the people gather along each side of the road, and they lay their garments down in front of his path. It's a sign of homage, but it's also a desire to have their garment tread underfoot by Jesus. Can you imagine picking up that garment again? Like, I'll never wash this garment again. Never. Jesus rode on this garment. It will be a testimony forever. See this? This is what Jesus donkey rode on when he rode into Jerusalem. Others grab leafy branches and they lay them on the path in front of Jesus. And they begin to proclaim, according to Luke 19, verse 37, his wonderful work. Can you imagine the crowd? Perhaps one is saying, he gave me sight. Maybe even Bartimaeus is there. Thou son of David, who gave me sight? Maybe someone else says, he cleansed my brother's leprosy. Another, he made me walk. I am leaping right now because Jesus. Another one saying, I'm mute. And the whole reason I can shout the praise today is because he gave me a voice. You see, these who are shouting his praises are seizing the day. They are speaking out loud the testimony and proclaiming the work of Jesus in their life. Another might be saying, he delivered me from seven demons. I think you know who that might be. Another saying, he healed me from my disease. I am no longer tormented. I'm no longer an outcast. He accepted me. I was a tax collector and sinner, but he restored me as a son of Abraham. Maybe, and we're told in John 17, John chapter 12, that Lazarus is among there, those. And many came just to see Lazarus and to hear his testimony, which was very unique. He raised me from the dead. And they shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a messianic word. Psalm 118 was considered by every rabbi, every teacher in Israel to be a messianic psalm. And so those crying out, saying, son of David, are saying, rightful king of Israel. Those who are saying, Hosanna, are saying, anointed one, or the Messiah. Those who are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is to proclaim that he is coming in the anointing, the service, the representation, and authority of the Lord. He is God's sign, representative, power and authority to us. And they are saying peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are proclaiming the terms of God's covenant, the agreement that is coming through this Messiah. And these echo the very terms of peace that the angels came offering at the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How? Through the Messiah Jesus. Jesus alone has come with God's terms of peace and glory. Now, during the ministry of Jesus, before this day, remember how he never allowed men to publish the fact that he was the Messiah? He silenced the demons. He told those he healed, don't tell anybody. He told the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, don't share what you've seen with anyone until I've risen from the dead. Now he allows public acclamation 
because this is the day that the Lord has made. It's a direct fulfillment of Daniel 9.25. When the angel tells Daniel, this is how to know the day of your Messiah, the anointed one. For from the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem until the Messiah shall be seven sevens and 62 sevens. We know that on March 4th, 445 BC, according to Nehemiah chapter two, verses five through eight, the command went forth from Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You count from that day, then it will bring you to April 6th, the day that Jesus did this, made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They should have known. They should have known in this, their day. This was the day that all Israel was to be anticipating. Not only did God tell them the very day, and just two weeks before this, there had been a march in Jerusalem by the rabbis and the priests and the religious elite to say that God had failed them because the right of capital punishment had been taken away from the religious elite and given to Rome alone. And so they wanted to say God had failed rather than looking for that very day for their Messiah. And not only did God tell them the very day, but he told them exactly what it would look like. You'll recognize your king this way. He'll be humble. He will be a descendant of David. He will be riding on a colt, a donkey that has never been ridden on before. It will happen in Jerusalem. He will be righteous. He will be victorious. And the people who participated, who seized the day, rejoiced, recognized. This is not the fickle crowd that calls for his crucifixion. I've heard that over again. Now, look how fickle they are. Just, you know, five days later, they're calling for his crucifixion. No, this is the crowd that the Pharisees were intimidated by and afraid of when they said, do not seize him during the day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Remember, they had to find a secluded place, a secret place. They had to do everything they did under the cloak of darkness. And we'll get into this more when we get to Luke chapter 22. They had to do everything under the cloak of darkness because the people would have caused an uproar. In John chapter 12, when they're, the Pharisees and religious elite are looking at this, They exclaim, we've got to do something now because the whole world is going after him. In Luke 23, 27, when Jesus is crucified, or actually when he's publicly walking down the streets, publicly condemned and walking down the streets in Jerusalem, holding his cross, we're told that a great multitude followed him to the cross, mourning and lamenting feeling helpless. In Luke 23, 48, we're told that the whole crowd came together at the cross, beating their chests. The Pharisees called from the crowd as Jesus is being publicly acclaimed, teacher, rebuke your disciples. When they use the word here, disciples, it means followers or those who are praising you. They're referring to the whole crowd, like rebuke the people that like you and are praising you is exactly what they're saying. And Jesus says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Nature recognized their liberator and they were ready to proclaim it. 
My father, whenever he would take a trip to Israel, we would always do that walk down the Mount of Olives and you can see the East Gate as you walk down. You can see the, the sight that Jesus saw when he wept. But my dad would say, make sure you pick up a stone because you never know when it might cry out praise in your house. He used to call them the singing stones. And so everybody would pick up a rock and just like sing to me. You know, you've heard of pet rocks. These are called singing rocks. But today is the day to proclaim his praise. Today is the day to proclaim what he has done in our lives. Today is the day to proclaim him as king. Don't neglect or put off this day of proclamation. Today is the day. Sometimes we may experience losses in our lives where something is taken from us. It may be a job, a person, a place, or even some sort of security. We may tend to look at it as a rejection or failure, but it may just be that the Lord has need of us. A situation that could be a disappointment or hardship may just be an open door from the Lord. God has a plan for your life, and sometimes that requires losses from our present situation. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll learn how to seize the opportunities the Lord gives us as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.